reach young adult ministry sermons online from Tuesday, April 6th, 2021 by Philip Jackson, pastor of the Young Adults at Evergreen Church from the series Young Guns, entitled Mary the Giver from John 12, 1 through 8. We're looking at uh, young guns, right? Young people in the Bible and how they've exhibited different spiritual gifts. Uh, we are most of the way through our study. We've got a few more left. Um, but tonight we're going we're gonna to talk about giving, the spiritual gift of giving. Um, uh, this is one of the lesser known gifts. A lot of people know teaching. A lot of people know prophecy. Um, but giving typically is uh, somewhere down on the list. I don't know why that is. I don't know. Have you guys ever met anybody who's just a ridiculous giver? Right. I have a, a good friend who uh, his name is Frank. This guy is ridiculous. Um, I've seen I've seen him be given. So one of the things about givers is that they have this open hand policy. Anything that God puts in my hand, I'm going to just make it available to whoever needs it. And they use just they use wisdom and discretion to try to make sure that they're not just, you know, being inappropriate with those those resources. But by and large, they just keep their hand open. And one of the things about having an open hand is that, is that not only can God put anything in it, but He can bless anybody through this, this gift of giving. And what happens is, typically, is we are so insecure in our, in our humanity and our sinfulness that we try to keep a death grip on everything that we possess, right? I can't give up my things. And so what happens is we end up with a closed fist, and the truth is that a giver is someone who has their hand open and they carry with them an open invitation to see Jesus. Because even a dog understands an open hand, right? So we're going to look at this gift of giving tonight and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. It's in the, it's in the Gospel of John and it's in the 12th chapter. I'm going to read you some distinctives about the gift of giving so these are um, things about uh, the people who have the gift of giving. Uh, now, remember, I always have to put this disclaimer in here when we're talking about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are expressions of God's nature through his people. Right. So you don't possess a spiritual gift. It's not your lucky charm that you carry around that you can kind of manipulate and do with what you want. This is a natural expression as you're abiding in Christ. And John 15 tells us that as you're abiding in Christ, you stay connected to the vine. God is going to express Himself through you to people in unique ways, through the fruit of the Spirit and through spiritual gifts. So the gift of giving, people that have this gift, they typically manage their finances and limit their lifestyle in order to give as much of their resources as possible. They support the work of ministry with sacrificial gifts to advance the kingdom. They typically meet tangible needs that enable spiritual growth to occur. They provide resources generously and cheerfully, trusting God for His provision. And typically, they may have a special ability to make money so that they may use it to further God's work. My buddy Frank, I have seen him be given a car and give it away. I've seen him be given a house and give it away. Frank just has one of those hearts that he just gives. And he and his family are taken care of, and God feeds them and takes care of them. He is fully embraced the promises of Scripture that God feeds His children. So some of the traits of someone with the gift of giving, they are typically stewardship-oriented, they have responsibility, they're charitable, they trust in God, and they're typically disciplined. Um, they, they have the mindset that anything that comes into my possession is a, 
is a uh, resource for the kingdom. And so I'm always going to be looking for a use for that resource. And it's not just money. It can be other things too. These are the type, types of people that say, oh, you need that? Just take it. Right? No matter how big or how small that it is. Now, some cautions for people with the gift of giving, though, is that um, sometimes they need to esteem their gift, remembering that giving money and resources is a spiritual contribution to the body of Christ, um, that they need to remember the church's agenda is determined by leaders, not just the giver's gift, and they need to guard against greed. Sometimes a person who has the gift of giving, they are so used to resources flowing through them that sometimes they get overly comfortable with that and overly familiar with that. And so they begin to think, well, you know, maybe I am such a giver. I'm going to hold on to this. And then they begin to manipulate people to try to uh, get things for themselves. So we've got to remember, I have a friend, uh, her name is Terry. She's an accountant. And she always says that she says that show me your greatest asset and I will show, show you your greatest liability. A lot of times the greatest strength that we have can also be a great temptation for us to, to feel entitled to that gift. So we always have to be very careful that we don't take our gift and we turn it into a weapon and we begin to bludgeon people over the head with it. Okay, so if you have the gift of giving, um, these are just important things to, to think about. So let me give you guys some context about what we're going to read uh, tonight. So in John chapter 12, this is about a week before the Easter scene, the, the, the Passover that's about to happen, right? So this is about a week before Jesus walks into Jerusalem with the palm branches waving. We just celebrated Easter, right? A week before Easter is Palm Sunday. This is, this is right around that time. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be, uh, to be celebrated. And so he stops in this little town of Bethany, and Bethany is about two miles away, so it's about from here to Chick-fil-A, right? So it's about two miles away from Jerusalem. It is a 20-minute walk. Uh, some of the things about uh, Bethany is that some of Jesus' favorite people live there. There's this family. There's this brother and two sisters. Lazarus, you may have heard of Lazarus, right? This is the guy who died that Jesus brought back to life. And his two sisters, Mary and Martha. There's also a man there um, whose name is Simon. Now, Simon and Mary are really common names at this time in history, right? So this would be like, I don't know, when I was, a, when I was a growing up, a really popular name in my generation is Josh or Joshua, right? Um, or uh, Tiffany was another popular name back when I was in high school and was younger. So each generation has different popular names, right? And so at this time in history, Simon and Mary were very common. But one of the things about this Simon is that Simon was actually at one point had the, the, uh, the sickness of leprosy. And at some point during Jesus' ministry, he interacted with Simon and he cleansed him of his leprosy through a miracle. Simon, from what Scripture tells us or indicates that he was a wealthy man. So Simon hears that Jesus is coming back through Bethany. Lazarus has just been resurrected from the dead. Everybody is still talking about this thing that happened. And so what do they want to do? Jesus' people, they want to host the rabbi. They want him to come and they want to eat dinner and they want to celebrate and they want to have a great dinner party. And so as, as all these things are, are swimming in their minds, they have... They have Lazarus is there, and all the disciples are there, and all the followers of Jesus are there, and there's this giant feast. Now, there are two times in history, or in, in, in Scripture, that Jesus' feet were anointed with oil. We're going to look at one of those instances 
tonight. Now, it's really important. So, there, so one of these instances happened in the far northern region of Israel. Okay, this is what we see in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 7. There's a Pharisee named Simon who's also hosting a dinner party. And this woman comes out and she breaks a, um, a container of oil and she begins to anoint Jesus' feet. It's believed that this is Mary Magdalene who does this, okay? Because she has been um, relieved of the demons that possessed her and she is finally free. Now, the other, the other Gospels, they detail this account in Bethany. You can find this in Matthew chapter 26, in Mark chapter 14, and here in John 12. And in, uh, in the other Gospels, one of the reasons why I chose the Gospel of John is because it's a little bit different than the others. One of the things about God's Word is that when you look at the Gospels, you have four different versions of what happened in Jesus' ministry, right? So you have the Gospel of Matthew that was written by a tax collector. This is someone who is detail-oriented, and he is, he, his Gospel is written to the Jews. So everything is, there's a lot of Old Testament stuff in Matthew. Then you have the Gospel of Mark, or John Mark was his name. Now, John Mark was a young dude. They, we, we believe that his, his mother was the one that hosted Jesus and the disciples in the upper room right before the crucifixion. So Mark is this little, he's this teenage kid, right? And he, as the church begins to grow, um, he goes on a missionary journey with Peter. And so as Peter is ministering and teaching people about Jesus, Mark is sitting there listening to these stories. And if you've ever heard somebody tell the same story over and over and over again, they tend to stick, right? You probably have heard stories from your parents that you are tired of hearing, right? Same thing with, Pete, with, with Mark. So John Mark is following Peter around and he's listening to all these stories about Jesus. And so he begins to write these down. And so Mark records what he has heard about Jesus through Peter. So the gospel of Mark really is the gospel of Peter. Okay, and so Luke, Luke is the first historian of the church. Luke begins to interview people. How many of you guys have seen The Chosen? Yes? Okay. I've, got, I've successfully converted some of you guys to be fans of The Chosen. They just released season two, or the, the first episode of season two on Easter Sunday. Um, but in that, in that episode, we see, uh, we see John talking to people and interviewing them about their experiences with Jesus. Luke did the same thing. So Luke gave us two books of the Bible. He wrote his first book, his first historical book, is what we know as the Gospel of Luke. And he's the one who interviewed Mary, and he, so he's got a lot of history in his book. The second book that Luke wrote, this is, free, this is a freebie, is the book of Acts. So Luke sat down and he interviewed all these people, and so he writes about Jesus uh, through their account, writes the Gospel of Luke, and as he's writing the Gospel of Acts, or the, the book of Acts, he uh, begins to travel with Paul. And, and by the end of Acts, we see him actually writing firsthand accounts of things that he sees. So, the Gospel of John. The reason why this is significant is that one of the things about, that I love about John is that John writes from the perspective of philosophy, of Jesus being God. That's why John starts with this grand statement. Where do you start? In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. John begins his description and his, all of his account in the book of John by looking at Jesus as God. Because he wrote his to the Greeks. So when we read this, there's a little bit less dialogue from the other Gospels, but there's just as much meat. So everybody's sitting there at this dinner party. We're going to read the. I'll go ahead and read all of the verses. We're going to read all eight verses, and then we're going to.
go back and we're going to pick this apart. Okay, so let's start in verse 1 of chapter 12 of the book of John. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them and Lazarus was one of, the one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always will have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Okay, let's, let's look at this little scenario because this is interesting here. So the first thing I want you to see about giving is that a giver is someone who sees true value. So given the context of what we, uh, so put yourself, use your sanctified imagination, put yourself in this room, okay? Mary is there, right? So her brother, who was just dead for four days, who was, who was rotting in a grave, is sitting there eating dinner. The room is darkly lit, a few candles here and there, so there's some, there's some lamps burning, natural candlelight. People are laughing, they're telling jokes, they're remembering things that happened with Jesus. So Mary looks over and she sees her brother Lazarus, who was just dead. And then she sees her sister Martha serving, as usual, making sure everybody has food. And then she sees Peter and John and James and Nathaniel and Thaddeus. She sees all the disciples who have done miracles on their own that have traveled with Jesus. Her home is full of all of these incredible people. So what does she do? She sees this moment. Mary saw Jesus through the lens of what was coming, the Passover. And she thought, this is it. This is Him. The one we've been waiting for. He's in my home. He's eating my food. So what can she do? I can just imagine in her mind, She's thinking, okay, what do I have? What do I have? What can I, what can I give? What can I contribute? And she remembers just for a few weeks previous when her brother was sick and dying and Jesus waited to come see them for her brother to die on purpose. And when Jesus came to find them, she, she waited back for a little while until he called for her because she was a little hurt. And so in that moment, she sees him so what can she do? She remembers, you know what? I do have something of value. I just want to serve my king. And so she sees this moment for what it is. So look at these first couple of verses. So we're six days before the Passover. Jesus comes to Bethany where Lazarus was. Verse 2, so they gave him a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them and Lazarus was one of the reclining of the table. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, this is a little bizarre for us as we read this because this doesn't make a whole lot of sense in our culture. But let's talk about these elements for a minute. Okay, so she had one thing. She had this, this perfume. Okay, nard was a rare oil. It came from India. It came from the Indian coast. So they're in, they're in Palestine, right, which is right off of the Mediterranean Ocean. And so 
a, a merchant would have to have taken a ship through the Mediterranean, through the, through the canal, into the Indian Ocean, and all the way back around to, uh, to far southeastern Asia to get this, and then come all the way back to ancient Palestine. This was really expensive stuff. It says a pound. This is probably about 12 ounces, maybe about the, the, the amount of this bottle of water right here in front of me. And it was used for several, several purposes. It was extravagant. Um, one of the things that they did with nard that it was perfect for was they used it to spice wine. Now, at this point in history, what happened is these wine merchants, they would, they would grow the grapes, they would, they would juice them, and then they would ferment them. But every vineyard had their special recipe. And every home had their own special way of preparing wine for their food. Okay, just like if your mom makes sweet tea or regular tea for dinner or lemonade or whatever, every home would have had their own special recipe of wine. And so spikenard was one of those, those, those oils that they would use strategically to, to prepare the palates of the people that were about to eat their food. So this is, a, this is a food spice. I want you to remember that. That's important for later. Okay, so the Romans used this to anoint a person's head like a perfume. Um, and so she comes over to Jesus and she sees him. So, so back in that day, they didn't, they didn't actually sit at, at, in chairs like we do today. They would have a small table, um, about the size of a coffee table, right? And they would have pillows on the floor. And what they would do is that they would, they would all lean on the table with one arm like this, and their feet would be spread out away from the table like spokes for a wheel. Okay, and so they lean across the table and they would take food and they would eat the food. Now, one of the things that, that was customary at that time is everybody walked everywhere. They had sandals and open-toed shoes. And so the lowest of low servant, when the person came into a home, they would wash a person's feet. If you've ever been on a long hike or you've been on a, on a mission trip where you don't have access to, um, to the regular bathroom and showers and things like that, to wash your feet or to put your feet in a cold stream of water after a long hike just feels good right? So this refreshed the guests. And so these servants, would, they, would, they would wash the guests' feet of all that dirt and grime and filth from the road. And so what, what happens is they're already sitting around this table, and Mary comes up, and she sees Jesus. For the, the, the first thing is that, imagine the scene. All this stuff is happening, and all of a sudden Mary appears with this jar of oil. And she nervously walks up to Jesus. In the other Gospels, it says that she anointed his head with the oil as well. And she opened the bottle of, of oil, the ointment, and she began to anoint his head. And all of a sudden, everybody stops talking. What is she doing? And she sees across the table her brother who was dead just a few weeks ago. But Jesus is the only thing that matters right now. And so she gets down on her hands and knees. She does some things that are incredibly inappropriate for this time in history. The first thing that she does, is she undoes her hair. Now back at this time, you can see this in some, some uh, Middle Eastern countries even now, a woman's hair is a very precious thing for her, and to uncover it, is inappropriate. But for Mary, 
She undoes her hair. And as she begins to weep, her tears fall on his feet. And she begins to pour the oil on his feet. And she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Because this is something that she is not going to share with any common rag. She begins to serve him and to enjoy him and to love him in that moment. By grabbing his feet, it would have been an incredibly inappropriate thing too. That was the work of the lowest of low of servants. And yet Mary, this woman who probably came from a, a pretty decently wealthy family, is on her knees giving up this precious oil to anoint his feet. What is she doing? She's worshiping her king. She's worshiping the Messiah. In Roman culture, to undo a person's hair, or undo a woman's hair is, is a, shine of, a sign of grief and of mourning. This would have been incredible to see. An incredibly humbling thing. Just the, the cost of the oil is one thing, but the cost of her dignity is a whole other thing. That She literally gives herself and her self-respect up. To love and to cherish Jesus in that moment. See, one of the things about being a gift giver is that the gift of giving is rooted in worship. And it's not self-serving or proud. It's humble and it seeks to honor God more than anything. Mary shows us that we are given the opportunity to worship. Those with the gift of giving look for ways that they can express their gratitude to the Lord for what He has done in their life. Oh God, you've already saved me, so this other stuff is just extra. I'm just going to give here. Why? Because every time that I give something away that you gave me, guess who I get to talk about? You. Where'd you get that money? I got it from Jesus. Where'd you get that car? I got it from Jesus. Where'd you get that time? I got it from Jesus. Where'd you get those relationships? I got it from Jesus. A giver understands that everything that happens to them, every opportunity that they have to give is an opportunity to worship. To recognize Jesus for who he is. You see, but there's always going to be people who second-guess your motives. Look at verses 4 through 6. So this, this incredible event is happening. Everybody is kind of taken aback at first. And then the whispers start. Verse 4. Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, I hate that guy, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor. Notice John's description of Judas. I think John feels the same way about Judas in verse 6. He says, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of it that was put in it. Judas is skimming off the top. Notice his response is he's indignant. He's angry. He is aghast. Look at this woman. Are you serious right now? That's seriously valuable stuff. You know what we should be doing? We should be feeding the poor. Notice that he second guesses her motives. One of the things about disobedient people is that they look down on those who give because they can't see the truth of a situation. Judas was sitting there and all he could think about was how much money he had in his pocket. You see, to a sinful person, they're going to look at a giver and they're going to see them giving their, their money away or giving their, their resources away, giving their time away. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to belittle them. Oh, they just don't understand what they've got. If I had that, I would do this, this, and this. 
That's not a proper use of, of God's resources. Why would you just give it away? Do you think that God cares, honestly, about how, many re- how much resources we have? No. He wants you. He doesn't want your stuff. So if you are a giver and you give, people are going to hate on you. It's just going to happen. This is a reality of things. He was a vocal representation of some of these other people in the crowd who thought that their actions, her actions were self-serving. But look at the language in verse 6 that he said he didn't, he, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Right? He wraps his language in God talk. We should feed the poor. But what's he actually after? He's actually after the money. See, in, uh, in these next verses, what's interesting is that Jesus gives us an insight into who Jesus, Judas was. Because he wasn't a faithful follower of Jesus or someone who was deceived in the end. He was a shallow disciple who was faking it. Here's a reality. Our Christian world, our Christian culture is full of fakers. I'll be honest with you. There have been times in my life when I have been a faker. Because it's convenient. It's convenient to sit back in my chair and watch other people do Jesus stuff and celebrate their successes. But you know what? Judas was not a follower of Jesus. He wasn't there for any other reason than the money. He stuck around because he could pull money off the top. That's his whole purpose here. He doesn't care about Jesus. He's there for the stuff. He tries to discredit godly generosity. So he describes the value of this oil, right? He describes it as 300 denarii. So at this point in history, if, if uh, the average worker or laborer was to work in a field or something, they would get paid one denarii. So we're talking about a year's wages. So in our dollars, this is worth probably about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 in our money. It's a lot of money, right? For, for an average person, this is a lot of money. So if Mary has this laying around, this is very, very important. So this would have been, um, why would she have something like this? Okay, so there's a couple reasons. So when you're, reading, when you're reading scripture, it's really important to understand what's going on in the culture at the time. Right? So there used to be this thing that if a, a woman was arranged to be married to a man, um, until that day came, she was in constant preparation for her new home. It wasn't like it is now when you're going to get married and people throw a wedding shower for you and they give you this stuff, right? You get 15 crock pots and five dinner plates and all the stuff that you might use once a year, right? What happens is that these, these ladies, they would grow up under the, the, the stewardship of their mother and they would learn how to run a home. So things that we take for, like, if you guys move out, it's amazing the things that you've got to go buy. Have you noticed that? I don't have a salt and pepper shaker. I've got to go get that. I don't have any spoons. I've got to go get spoons and forks and knives, right? And you go to Walmart and you get the cheapest set you can find, right? I don't have any glasses to drink anything with, right? The little things. I don't have a can opener. All the little junk you've got to go buy, right? And you're like, I'm going to go move out on my own. This is going to be awesome. And it's like, wait a second. I've got to drop a couple hundred bucks just to buy the crap that I took for granted in my parents' house. <laughs> They've got like 15 of the same thing. Right? I don't know where you're shopping. <laughs> but 
So what would happen is that these ladies, they would be preparing for that day. So they would spend their time, you know, working and learning a trade, but they'd also would do things like they would, they would buy and sell things to accumulate the things that they need, and they would put it in, a lot of times, in a giant chest. And that chest was called a hope chest. This is what they would call a dowry. So when a woman gets married, she comes equipped to run her home. So Mary would have been in the process, Scripture doesn't tell us that she was married, and so she would have been in the process of preparing for that day. So she had some precious things that she had accumulated. So the most precious thing that she had was this oil, this this perfume. There's a couple things that we've got to think about here as she pours this extremely valuable thing on Jesus is that Judas looks at her and he's blind to the significance of the moment, right? He's totally, totally missing it. All he sees is this chick is dropping 30 grand on this guy. This is ridiculous. In my research, I've, I, I did find that the most expensive bottle of, bottle of perfume that I could find, I can't remember the name of it now, it was ridiculous. It sells for $2.5 million for one bottle, like one four-ounce bottle. The cap is a five-carat diamond. Yeah. This lady is dropping some serious, serious money, just in Judas's mind, pouring it down the toilet. He's wrapped up so much in his flesh that this humble gift of a person who is madly in love with God is a waste to him. You know? The second thing is he tries to, he tries to diminish Mary by calling, him, calling it a waste. Only a person that doesn't understand grace and mercy would be blind to a holy sacrifice. What's interesting here is that for Judas, his fleshly perspective, he can only relate to the physical parts of this scenario. Right? So there's a couple of things here that we've got to think about. To the giver, the price is irrelevant. Because if God has given me this, he can give me something else in its place. The item is not the problem. The item is not the focus. So the giver doesn't see that. But to the person who is actually not walking with a biblical perspective, that doesn't have their eyes open to see the truth of God's word and also the spiritual things, all they see is numbers and zeros. He is completely void of any truthful perspective. See, he doesn't even recognize or understand that the service comes from the root of worship. As a giver, it's common for people to either question your motives or to try to take advantage of you. It's exactly what Judas was trying to do. It's important for us not to just, not to just absorb that and become jaded, but also to remember that God has given us this gift on purpose to get people's attention. You think that Mary got everybody's attention that night? Absolutely. Because God had put her in a position to bear, where her exorbitant gift made people pay attention. For those who have the gift of giving, you should be concerned with one perspective and one perspective only. And that is who you are worshiping with your gift. I know that many of you are givers. I have been the beneficiary of some of those gifts. And I want to encourage you to not take the, the, the anger and the resentment and the sinfulness of other people, to take that to heart and use that as a, as a reason to not express what God's given you. Don't do that. Because you are meant to get people's attention by your obedience. And that is a good thing. Because it comes from a heart of sincere worship. Because you want to acknowledge what the Father has done in your life. 
If you can do anything, if you're a giver, then give. Give. And recognize that every time that you do, it's an act of worship. And don't miss that opportunity. If somebody says, why are you doing this? Say, because I love Jesus. He's done this incredible thing in my life. That's weird. Tell me about that. That is the opportunity that we have as givers. Don't let the insecurity of others or their manipulation get in the way of your obedience. But look at this. Also, a giver has perspective. Look at verse 7. So Jesus jumps in. So everybody's whispering about Mary, and Jesus pipes in. He's always there to defend us. I love that. Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. Okay, Jesus rebukes Judas. And he draws, the, draws everyone's attention on what's really going on. Now, notice that he doesn't actually um, tell... The, well, I will go ahead and read verse, verse 8. For always, for you always will have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Notice that Jesus doesn't discount what he's saying about feeding the poor. He's talking about priorities. So we've got a responsibility to serve others but not at the expense of worship, not at the expense of pointing people to Christ. See, God loves those who worship Him. And just a few chapters earlier, Jesus has an account, has a meeting with a woman at a well. And He tells her that the day is coming and now is when those who belong to God will, will worship in spirit and in truth. He says, this is the kind of heart that God wants. A heart that will worship in spirit and in truth. God is all about worship. She understands the perspective. Now let's go back to this idea of spikenard being a food spice. I read this this week, and one of the things that I love about teaching is that I'll read God's Word a billion times, and then I'll go back and read it one more time, and i see something I've never seen before. In the book of Numbers, God is teaching the people of Israel what it means to be a nation, what it means to be a people. And what's incredible is that in the process of the book of Numbers, there's all these things about do this and don't do that, right? He's going through the law. But one of the things that he does is he tells them, he says, once a year, to pay for the sins of the people, what you have to do is you have to take an animal and you have to set it aside to be an atonement offering for your sin. That animal is going to pay the price for your sin. The wages of sin is death, right? Another thing that they would do is they would take the fruit of their field, their harvest, the grain. They would mix it with salt. And they would also offer that as an offering. And once the, what they would do is that they would kill the animal. They would take the blood and they would, they would put it on the altar to pay the price for the, for the sin of the people. And then this grain offering would be a testament of what God had done in their life, His provision. And the final piece is that they would take a gallon of wine and they would pour it over that burning flesh and grain on the fire. What's interesting is that it's described in Numbers 15 as an aroma that is pleasing to the Lord. Let's think about our setting. Mary is there. She's washing Jesus' feet with this oil, anointing his head and washing it with her hair, wiping it with her hair. Verse 3 says, Then Mary took the pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, 
anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Notice how Jesus describes what Mary is doing in verse 7. He says, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. Mary is taking a scent that everyone associates with wine. And she is anointing the sacrifice of God to pay for the sins of the world. How amazing is that? Her perspective. That I am anointing the Savior of the world. In this moment, I don't care what you have to say about me. Because this is Jesus. And notice his defense. He says, the poor you're going to have with you all the time, but I will not always be with you. You do not always have me. You see, the point, this whole thing points to the cross. Passover is coming, where they celebrate the, the protection of God. Jesus is foretelling his crucifixion. All of these things are coming, and Mary is the only one that can see it. See, a giver sees the true value of what they've been given. The true value in, give, in giving is worship. Ignorant people who don't understand this gift will only see the material side of it, but the giver sees the heart of God through their sacrifice. A worldly person is going to be limited by their lack of perspective, but a giver will find fulfillment and joy in glorifying God through imitating Christ in their sacrifice. Mary, through her sacrifice, from her dining room table, points straight to the cross. What will happen in a few short weeks. I wonder how long that perfume stayed in her hair. Every time she smelled it. Every time she came across it. She was worshiping because she had the perspective. But the thing that's incredible here also is that a giver understands priorities. So Judas tried to wrap his 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 objection here in God language, he said, oh, well, we need to be feeding the poor. So Jesus kind of gives him a little sideways comment here about always having the poor with you, but you don't always have me. So in Deuteronomy chapter 15, Jesus is actually quoting the Old Testament here when he talks about this. Judas is throwing out a piece of the Mosaic law. because So in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15, God is laying out uh, restrictions for the people and how they see the poor and how they see different types of disenfranchised people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 15, he's specifically talking about lending to poor people and taking care of poor people. And so Judas is kind of wrapping his opinion in God language, right? And so in this passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 15, God is, is putting boundaries around the people of Israel uh, in how they treat the poor. There's a lot of social justice language that flies around our culture right now. Well, in the Old Testament, according to God's law, every seven years, every debt was forgiven. Every single one. So you borrow money to go buy something, the debt's forgiven. Every seven years. And so God puts provisions in His law that says, you are not allowed to discriminate against poor people when it's close to that seven-year moment. 
because what, was, what he knew was going to happen is that people were going to say, oh, well, I know you can't pay this back in time. I know I'm going to lose money, so I'm not going to lend it to you. So Jesus, God, through the Mosaic Law, is protecting people. And so he actually says this in Deuteronomy chapter 15, in verse, uh, in verse 11. God, this is God speaking to Moses. He says, For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I'm commanding you, open your hand willingly to the poor and needy, uh, and needy brother in your land. What God is telling Moses here is he's telling him to not be stingy with people, to understand where your provision comes from. Notice that, God doesn't, that Jesus doesn't disregard the poor people in his comment in verse 8. He says, the poor you will ha- always have with you, but you do not always have me. Um, the point is not to feed the poor. You guys realize that, right? To meet people's physical needs is not about meeting the physical needs. As we've talked about with giving, it's an invitation to share the gospel. You have a hungry belly? You've got an empty belly? I'll feel, I'll fill it. Hey, while we're sitting here eating, let me tell you about real satisfaction. Let me tell you about real living water. Let me tell you about real life. Notice that Judas does something that's really common even in our generation that he points to the obvious thing of meeting a physical need, and he uses that as an excuse to punish someone who is truly godly. We have a lot of people who believe that everything about the gospel is about filling bellies and putting people in warm beds. Now, meeting needs is important, but not at the expense of the gospel. Think about Mary and Martha, okay? A couple of weeks prior, Jesus is visiting What's Martha doing? She's working. She's putting food in bellies, making sure everybody's welcome and, and they've got everything figured out, right? But where's Mary? She's sitting at Jesus' feet listening. The dinner wasn't the point. The worship was the point. Meeting the need was not the point. Sharing the gospel was the point. Talking about perspectives here, about understanding priorities, what, what God is telling them in the Mosaic Law and what Jesus is telling us here is that the point is to see people. See, sinful people try to use Scripture to mix up priorities, right? They, they don't realize it, but Satan's really good at quoting Scripture too. Think about that. Satan is really good at it. When he tempted Jesus, what did he use? Scripture. He quoted Psalm 91 to Jesus in the, in the wilderness. Satan is really good at quoting Scripture. So here's a key. As you're studying God's Word, the best interpreter of God's Word is God's Word. Okay, notice, we're not looking at this passage of Scripture tonight, but notice whenever Jesus was tempted in the, in the desert and Satan offers Scripture, well, you know, you should throw yourself off of this, this uh, tower because it's written in Scripture that the Lord's going to send an angel and He's going to keep your foot from being, getting dashed against a stone. But Jesus stepped back and he understood context of Scripture. Context is key. Right? So as we're reading Scripture, we've got to understand that that is our primary lens that we look at everything through. We have, if we need an answer for the question, we go to the book. But we can't just look and say, okay, well, yeah, it says here that I'm supposed to X, Y, and Z, but you don't listen to the rest of the story. Notice that, that 
Judas was trying to twist things, but Jesus straight by saying, this is not about the poor. Yeah, well, you're going to feed the poor, but that's not the point right now. See, a child of the word will always be able to understand Scripture because Scripture interprets Scripture. See, the, the episode of Mary anointing the feet of Jesus is a beautiful expression of sacrifice and worship. God used her incredible giving heart to put the grace and mercy and love of Jesus on display. And the world turns around and tries to twist that using God language. If you are a giver, do not let other people tell you what you should do. You find your guidance and your truth in God's word comprehensively. You seek godly wisdom and you do what God's called you to do. We live in a generation of people who want to appropriate your giving heart. And they want to tell you how you're supposed to use it. And that is not a godly perspective. God has given you a gift to be able to give so that people can see Jesus in you. Don't miss that. God has done this on purpose. And he's equipped you with this on purpose. Because only you can give like he wants you to give. If you enjoyed this episode of the Reach Podcast, please be sure and like and subscribe to our content. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Also, you can find us on social media by searching for reach.tulsa. Find us on our website, evergreenbc.org forward slash reach. I also want to invite you to come be a part of our community. We meet every Tuesday night at 630 at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa on 111th Street, just east of Mingo. God is moving in the lives of young adults all across the world. He has something for you, so don't miss out. Bring your glory down